welcome and thank you for joining us on uh, Disrupt TV. My name is Bala Akshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Disrupt TV on Twitter following uh, the Twitter handle Disrupt TV Show. You can send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my privilege to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO, founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business. He's working on his second book as well. He's a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review and ZDNet and many other publications. And in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar. He's one of the top followers on Twitter for CIOs, CMOs, and of course, the business press. He's everywhere now, on TV as well in Canada and in the US, and we are also live coast to coast on radio here on Disrupt TV. Welcome to everybody who's actually on the show. But Bala, this is not about us. We're about awesome authors, awesome executives. Who do we have up next? It's our privilege to start the show with Dr. Melanie Katzman, author of Connect First, 52 Simple Ways to Ignite Success, Meaning, and Joy at Work. Boy, we all need that. Uh, Dr. Melanie's a business uh, psychologist, advisor, consultant for the world's top public and private companies, government agencies, and nonprofits. Dr. Melanie is founder of Katzman Consulting and a founding partner of the global nonprofit leaders Quest. Dr. Melanie was one of the faculty of Real Cornell Medical School for 25 years. Uh, she was a senior fellow at Wharton School Center for Leadership and Change Management and co-created and hosted the show Woman at Work on uh, Cyrus uh, Satellite Radio. She has been featured in Financial Times, New York Times, O Magazine, which we get at my household, South China Morning Post, Vanity Fur, and many other major media outlets. You can follow her work on Twitter at Melanie Katzman, M-E-L-A-N-I-E-K-A-T-Z-M-A-N. Welcome, Dr. Melly, to Disrupt TV. Thank you so much for having me. Great to meet you and great to meet Ray. Thank you so hey. much. Hey, thanks a lot for being on the show. I mean, you've taken your expertise in business and being a psychologist and understanding how companies work, um, and you've really looked to examine what people are doing. So let's start by figuring out what are some good examples of how we botch opportunities to connect with people at work? This happens all the time. So. All the time, Ray. All the time. It's so easy to get it right, and people get it so wrong. We, we mistake being polite as being something that's a nicety that you can get rid of when things are urgent. And as a result, we suffer. There are some really simple ways that people cause interpersonal damage. They don't look someone in the eye. They mm. face their screen rather than each other. People put on noise-canceling headsets and don't have conversations. They collect likes and followers and don't forge those strong relationships that are the bedrock of success, joy, and meaning at work. There's so many ways I can tell you about, and the book is filled with easy examples. When did you realize that you had the, the skill and talent of, of understanding how to establish meaningful connections. Was it because of a mentor? Was it because of your parents, your early career experiences? I mean, you're a renowned connector <laughs> and soon to be best-selling author that speaks Thank you. From, from your lips to all the audiences. Uh, <laughs> but how did you, when did you know that, you know, you, you, you understood the, new, the art and science and nuance of being a great connector? You know, if I really think about the past, my mom was somebody who everybody would come and talk to. Mm -hmm. And I would hang out and just listen to how people 
opened up to her. And I realized it had a lot to do with her curiosity, her delight. Nobody had a problem that was too small. Everything was taken seriously, but with a good sense of humor. And coupled with that, my dad was an entrepreneur. And so he was always trying to psych out the business angle. And the combination of them, I think, resulted in me being a business psychologist. And you know, over time, I saw as a therapist, because I have a clinical psychology degree, and part of my days are spent seeing people in clinical consultation. And then, often in the same day, I'm speeding across town or to the airport to work with large companies. And perhaps not surprisingly, the people in my therapy room are sharing a lot of the same concerns that people are sharing in the corner office or the conference room. But everybody thinks that they're the only one who is suffering or the only one who feels like they've been slighted or needs more recognition or praise or greater clarity in terms of their career path. So I got really excited when I recognized that I had something to give from all the experiences. And that's really what the book is about. You know, it's, it's my give back. It's all the lessons I learned from the people I work with and all the lessons I tried to teach the people that I have consulted with over the years. You know, great connectors are givers. So that doesn't surprise me. That, that, that's <laughs> awesome. That's yeah, awesome. no, and I agree with that. And what's really interesting um, is just that you've lived around the world as well. You've been a research scientist. I mean, you've been studying this for quite some time. I mean, this is this is like your fifth book, right? Or six? This is actually so. my sixth book, Ray. Um, it's my sixth, but it's the first one I've written for the popular press. Um, my other books have been more academically oriented. Connect First is filled with research-based suggestions, but it's written in a way that anybody could read. You could pick it up and, you know, go chapter by chapter, dip in where you need the advice. Um, and I tried to juxtapose the case studies with examples from street cleaners in Mumbai to people who are doing charitable work in Brazil to someone who's running an investment banking um, concern in Manhattan. So the universality of the human experience is really captured in the book and is a result of my experience working globally. I mean, that is what's so amazing about this. It's global in nature. Um, you've looked at it from different perspectives. It's human in perspective. And one of the things that was interesting is, you know, you, you talked about a little bit earlier, like what trends have caused people to forget how to connect as humans in the workplace? It's as we, we suddenly got into a digital world and we forgot about being human. Right. And it's such a great question because I actually think that in this very digital world, the greatest disruptor is the human emotion. And so everyone's looking at artificial intelligence and wondering where the next answer is, the next new thing. And actually, it's the old thing. It's that shared humanity. And, you know, part of what's gone on, I think, is that technology has given us a false sense of connectedness. We're interconnected, but we're not having true conversations. We're not looking and seeing and being with people in person. So, for example, the ease with which we can have this show and everybody be at different parts of the country is fabulous. But then people will sometimes mistake the experience on the screen with really being an experience that is on par with a relationship you forge by having a conversation with someone. So going to where your colleagues are, being able to understand the, who's sourcing your goods, meeting your remote workers, even starting a conference call with what do you see out your window makes the difference and humanizes it. But I think we get trapped by our technology. Mm, let's see, that looks pretty good out your window. Um, so it really, you know, it, I think technology has been one of the big things. The other is the speed with which we operate and the connectedness we have to our competition. So there's this sense of urgency that if we don't do something right away, the competition's gonna take over. And then as I mentioned earlier, speed then supplants um, civility. And that's really an error. You know, I, I just uh, shared an infographic that talks about every one minute on the internet. And 
every one minute, uh, there's 188 million emails that are sent. There are 18 million text messages. And then you have you know, Slack and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And so it's, it's incredible that data never sleeps and we happen to be in, in this hyper-connected, we assume knowledge sharing economy. Uh, but in terms of, so, so it, 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 it's unprecedented and growing in terms of how connected we are. But, but as you mentioned, uh, you know, that's not a substitution for in-person conversation and really building a, a, a deep, meaningful connection. So how does lack of connection get in the way of us attaining our goals and, and oh, being so productive and happy? Right. And, and by the way, you know, while I advocate for sure of having the personal in you know, face-to-face -face interaction, you can still form a much more personal connection uh, through technology if you use it properly. So like, there are people who are online talking to each other all day long, but never say good morning or have a good day at the end of the day. So something just as simple as that, as saying, you know, hey, good to see you, how was your night? Let's get going, right? So you're not even in the same space, but at least you've connected at a personal level. You know, that there are ways where you can just say, hey, got it, when someone sends you a message and you know it just didn't go into the ether because people end up having incredible, um, you know, internal dialogues that are not very pretty when you send something and you don't get a response and you don't know what's happened. So, um, you know, just wanted to say you absolutely can connect on a personal level and still be through technology. What happens and what, where it gets in the way of our productivity is people feel alone in the midst of many, many people around them. So work is often a place where people end up feeling devalued, disconnected, because they're not a part of the interactions that are going on around them. Disconnected people, disengaged employees don't function well, they don't share information, they don't jump in to fix errors, um, they don't produce at the level that they could. So one of the ways that we suffer is that lonely, disconnected, disaffected employees collect a paycheck, but they don't produce. The other is that we know that people will trade money for meaning. And how do you create meaning at work? It's not putting up a mission statement, having a poster, or doing a day of community service. It's really about connecting your efforts to the outcome of your organization. And being able to connect what you do to what the ultimate result is, is a process that occurs in conversation. It's very personal. Understanding what matters to somebody requires a conversation, not a long one but a conversation. And so we know that kind of the magic is in those moments where people create meaning with the people they work with. And a meaning driven place is a passionate place which runs on energy and that's a much more sustainable operation and you feel better and your company does better. You know, this is really interesting. Um, what do you do with, and this happened to me like just in, a, in the last few weeks, right? I mean, I've been in New York like all, all last week, all this week, right? And as well, you I, didn't call or visit, I can't oh, believe. Sorry, sorry. But, but it was direct, right? People were direct in their communication. They were engaged. When you're on, you're on. You don't waste people's time. And then I get to Seattle and I was like, what is going on? Right? It's passive aggressive. People don't say what they mean. They want everything to be happy. I feel I can't even communicate and engage. Do you see those types of regional differences? Because we're dealing with like a client where it's just like they don't communicate what they think. They want everything to be happy and nothing. I mean, it's like you can't get anything done. So how about I give you a confusing answer of yes and no. So oh, the, no. Yeah. 
So yes, I definitely do think there are regional differences. But the no part is that having worked around the world, I've been asked to come in and help the Japanese um, boss get along with the French employee to get along with the Korean um, outsourcer and the Indian um, supplier of that. And ultimately, I think it's not about their passports, it's about their personalities. And we can get tripped up into thinking that it is a result of where somebody is from. Culture makes a difference for sure, but I think that if we get into that mindset, we can see more divide divisions than is necessary. Got it. Uh, right. Got it. See, you're learning. That's chapter six. Um, but, what, but also, um, you know, what I did what I do want to say is that conflict is really what creates relationships. The avoidance of conflict may make things feel nice and smooth initially, but when things bubble beneath the surface, it's corrosive. We don't actually have a real relationship if we can't speak to each other honestly. And so one of the things that I talk about in the book in great detail is how to fight fear, how to manage conflict, because it's only through the resolution of conflict that you actually have a meaningful relationship and a trustworthy connection to somebody. Nice, nice, happy, clappy feels good, but it's kind of like sugar. It gives you an instant high and then you're hungry again. <laughs> so emotion is central to, to, to connecting. We've had some uh, uh, experts on our show that have talked to us about radical transparency. Yes. Key ingredients to, to establishing meaningful connections and, 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 and trust. Um, and, you know, I think it was Oxford uh, lecturer, uh, Rachel Bossman, who said, trust is confidence plus character and it's mm -hmm. capability, reliability, integrity, and benevolence. When you're coaching CEOs or, or CXOs um, and, 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 and you want them to practice radical transparency, how do you, how do you encourage them? Like, is there a certain exercise or certain listening and, and engagement, tactical, uh, uh, work that they can do to become better at, at, at meaningful connections? Um, absolutely. Great question. So I think one of the first things we need to do is improve our self-awareness. So you have to tune into yourself, what matters to you, and then use that to be able to connect to others. So I talk in the book about checking the emotional mirror. If you feel it, then there's a good chance someone else feels it. Are you feeling anxious and unsettled? We'll use that as a conversation starter to see whether or not somebody else is experiencing that same level of anxiety. Too often, I think we walk into the office and walk into a role. We don't inhabit our own skin and our own emotion. So I encourage people to take a moment maybe two or three, and really reflect on what's going on for them. So that allows you to become more authentic and then to use that when you're speaking to people. Because if you're just going out and being transparent as defined as I'm being blunt and you know, ruthlessly honest, you may be missing the emotional connection that's necessary, which has to do with a shared sense of vulnerability and being sensitive to the timing of what message and when requires tune into yourself, use that, clue to tune into other people and then have a conversation that kind of goes from the inside out. Wow, this is complex. This isn't sorry, something sorry. Can... Does this, what if you were like, so I managed engineers for about 10 years and okay. I had some exceptional engineers that, you know, just kind of sat there and built great stuff. Yes. <laughs> and, and they felt anxiety when they had to engage with anyone and their best and their best work was literally just sit there and build. There were times as a manager, I felt like maybe I needed to pull them into the community and group. But then over time, I realized there are a few people that just want to work. 
<laughs> so, that, so actually, one of the reasons um, I thought that the book is well-timed is because you have so many people now working in engineering that requires extreme attention to detail. It draws on the individual who might be more introverted. People are working in different countries, different time zones, on you know, producing products that have lots of complicated um, algorithms and a lot of um, stakeholders who need different things. And people are just kind of focused, almost hyper-focused on their work. And so a lot of the chapters in Connect First are written with the engineering mind in mind for the person whose job has maybe um, been a source of isolation on purpose because right. know that if you have a customer service team and a product development team right. that doesn't communicate you've got problems someone's got to know how to bridge that you need to know how to communicate and get the best out of the people even if they have very different styles right. so i'm very mindful of that in the book not everybody has to be an extrovert, and right. not everybody has to be running around holding hands and singing, but there are some little things that we can do that can really overcome some of the difficulties that get in the way of, of success. That's a beautiful example. I ran global service and support and the importance of engineering and service professionals speaking to each other as often as possible. The path to resolution is a function of how well they communicate. That's a beautiful example. Absolutely. Great. You know, there's another area in the book that I think was really interesting about fighting fear, right? Yes. Like stepping outside of your comfort zone and ch challenging new ideas. How does that work? How do, how do people get comfortable with that? Uh, practice. So I encourage people to be a little bit terrified every day. If you're too comfortable, then you're probably not succeeding. Um, and we can be uncomfortable at home and we can certainly be uncomfortable going out and seeing what's happening in the world around us. Too often, I think what happens is that when we become afraid, we tunnel in. Um, we restrict our vision. We restrict the number of people we're with. We look to affirm our perspective rather than find challenges to it. So in Fight fear. I talk a lot about how do you invite people in, not just sending an email note, but a personal message, a phone call, making it easy for your community, your collaborators, perhaps the demonstrators outside your office to come in and have conversations, how to be a good host. My um, publisher initially asked me, how come you have a, a chapter on hosting and fight fear? And I said, well, people are coming in for a complicated conversation. Make sure that they have the things that will calm them down readily available. Now give them the Wi-Fi code, show them where the restrooms are, give them a glass of water, introduce everybody <laughs> to each other, you know, because you're going to get into the tough stuff, but you don't want that anxiety machine running behind the whole system. So um, fighting fear is critical to success. And unfortunately, when that cortisol, that fight or flight response kicks in, we mm -hmm. often run in the opposite direction and do exactly what we shouldn't be doing. We need to open our doors, open our minds, bring people and ideas in, and not be afraid to ask the tough question because we can't anticipate the future, but what we do know is that there's gonna be things we don't know. So getting people comfortable with the unknown is a critical part of fighting fear and building connections. That's terrific, that's terrific. Uh, my final question, uh, sure. what's the one thing that you want your readers to walk away after reading Connect First, other than recommending the book to their friends and colleagues. <laughs> but what is, that, what is that one overarching message that perhaps I could fit into, into a 280 character tweet that summarizes what you hope people can, can learn from Connect First? You know, work doesn't have to be difficult. It can be the source of joy and meaning, and it is 
all of our responsibility and opportunity to use business to be a lever for social change for ourselves, for our communities, and for the wider world. That's terrific. That's, That's awesome. awesome. We are here with Melanie Gatzman, PhD author of Connect First, 52 Simple Ways to Ignite Success, Meaning, and Joy at Work. You can pre-order her book only on Amazon, Connect First. Make sure you check it out and follow her on Twitter at M-E-L-A-N-I-E-K-A-T-Z-M-A-N, Melanie Katzman. Hey, thanks a lot for being on the show and happy Friday and enjoy your vacation. <laughs> thanks so much. Great talking to you. You were terrific. Great, great. Totally, totally amazing advice. And uh, I great. think, yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's so important. I think joy and fulfillment absolutely comes from deepening your connections with your employees, your customers, your partners. And someone who's been building uh, connections through incredible use of technology is our next guest. Uh, we're delighted to have Les Odolenghi, Executive Vice President and award-winning Chief Information Officer for Caesars Entertainment Corporation. Les reports directly to the President and CEO, so he has awesome responsibilities that, uh, that, that helps all the stakeholders. Les is charged with shaping and implementing the technology agenda in cross Caesars company platforms, and we'll learn more about that. In uh, just over a year, Les completely transformed the IT infrastructure IT the company to a digital business by developing a comprehensive IT roadmap that includes organization, governance initiatives, and most importantly, again, delighting stakeholders. He has personally cultivated C-level relationships with some of the biggest companies in the world, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Salesforce, my company, we thank you for that, <laughs> and, and, and many others. You can follow Les on Twitter and his incredible work at L-E-S-O-T-T-O-L-A-E-N-G-H-I. Welcome, Les, to Disrupt TV. Hi there. Hey, Les, welcome. So we're having a little bit of a problem with hearing you guys, so I can't hear a word you're saying, but I know it's very exciting. So uh, <laughs> I am, uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you very much. And I uh, understand a little bit of the background to this. As soon as we get the audio going here, uh, we'll get going. So give us one second. Sure. No, no problem. While you're there, right? I mean, we've been watching this amazing transformation in Las Vegas. What's happening in Las Vegas over the board is we've shifted from gaming being the number one revenue source to the actual convention and convention business being that next area to all the other areas around customer experience. Unless you've been sitting at the forefront of what's been happening there, congratulations on being on the business transformation 150. That's uh, a huge uh, honor for you to be there. And I would actually say, Look, a lot of it comes back to this role of customer experience in the modern IT strategy. Let's start there and talk a little bit about that and how that's transforming the way you think you work, uh, especially as this transformation is happening in Las Vegas. Absolutely. So, no, great. I really appreciate the time here and the opportunity. And you can see I have a great, op great view from my office. Um, yeah, th this is exciting, first of all, to be chosen is one of the premier leaders in transformation. And in addition, as, a, as I look at the overall market here for casinos, integrated resorts, the entertainment of gambling, it has changed significantly. So I'm sorry, I, I am getting like myself twice now in the head, headset. You sound I wonderful, Let don't me just worry about it. Pause real quick I'm clean. so I can try and pick 
So, and this transformation that's going on in Las Vegas has been quite incredible. I mean, you I mean we've seen at one point, I believe in 2000, something like 2013 or 14, uh, convention revenue exceeded gaming revenue all across, uh, which is something really huge. I think it was like maybe in the three to four billion uh, range that was going on in Las Vegas. So, and uh, it's been one of those big, big shifts that's been happening in this market. So let's see if we've got Les back on here. Yeah, I don't know how to fix this. Okay, so I think, uh, but while he's talking about this, I mean, we've seen some interesting stats. I mean, in, in Southern Nevada, I mean, there was something like 367, almost 368,000 jobs that were coming in through tourism uh, in 2018 for Las Vegas. Um, we've been seeing a lot of very interesting things uh, that are happening overall, uh, especially um, in the consolidation that's happening as well in this, uh, in this market. Ray can, Ray, can you talk a little bit about BT150? So for our audience, I'm not sure, all our audience knows about this distinguished list. Yeah, so the Business Transformation 150 is a list that we've been putting together. Um, we've actually secretly been doing it since Constellation began, uh, but what we started doing was publicizing the list. And these were really the early adopters. These were individuals who were doing transformation. Uh, they and their organizations were actually pioneering. And in some cases, like they did some wonderful work um, and we wanted to recognize those individuals. These were typically the profiles of clients and customers that we wanted to um, attract. And, and so what's really exciting about the BT150 is every year, um, Dion, David Chow, other members get together, previous winners of this Business Transformation 150 list come together and we vote uh, to find folks. And we typically start with two to 300 folks and we do reference checks, we connect with people. And this is a global elite list that recognizes the top global executives that are leading these efforts, right? And they come from peers, vendors, awesome. industry influencers, right? And other analysts uh, and they get there, right? And, and basically we recognize them and induct them at Constellations uh, co convention, uh, basically our customer event, which is our Executive Innovation Summit. Um, it's going to be November 5th this year, where we induct them in Half Moon Bay at the Ritz-Carlton. So That's it's going to be- Les, are you able to hear us? Uh, you're on mute. So, he's still on mute. I think he's trying to dial in by phone. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to get in here by phone. How are we doing oh, now? You sound terrific. wonderful now. You look fantastic. Okay. Right. We can hear you great. Got all the big digital transformation all at once right here. <laughs> hey, no problem. Hey, let's talk about CX. We were talking about customer experience when we last left off and really talking about customer experience and that modern IT strategy as Las Vegas has gone from gaming to convention and visitor and tourism and, and maybe even esports, which is picking up really hot these days. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So th this is a big change for our industry. We have gone from, as you said, what used to be the traditional gaming. Uh, that was 78% of the business about I, anywhere between 10, 15, 20 years ago for certain, it is down to around 22, 23% of the business. So it's about hospitality. It's about fun. It is about the experience, to use the exact words that you had described as the way that the customer looks at now Las Vegas, or for that matter, the entire gaming industry. So in the past three years, we've put together a major digital transformation. First year, as you were saying here at the top of the program, was about our infrastructure, getting that modernized, putting us into an entire connected system at all of our properties, but across the globe, so that we could, in milliseconds, connect from one place to the next, whether that was in Las Vegas or it was in New Jersey. But on top of that, there have been five major software transformations for our customer experience, Salesforce, for our hospitality management, and for 
or all of our back office Oracle, and then our Microsoft infrastructure for real-time data analytics. And what this has led to is the ability to change not only the way we operate to lower our costs, which is always great, that's a great thing for a business, but actually change the engagement model with our customer. And the engagement model meaning that if we have a VIP coming onto the floor, say, at one of our casinos, the Link or Flamingo, our VIP hosts on their watch can recognize that that customer is walking towards them. They can immediately identify the value of that customer in terms of the length of the relationship as much as how they wagered with us. But to the change of the business, it's going from just the wagering aspect of what we do to actually talking about things like esports, providing a full refresh of the Coliseum at Caesars Palace so that it is fully interactive, everything in there is social, everybody's posting the entire time. And as you'll see, when we open up the Coliseum again here in just a few weeks, we'll have a raised floor that everybody can actually walk into and participate with the actual performers. So everything is at a high-tech level, a high-touch level, and changing the consumer experience. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, mean, I, I, uh, this is the first time we've met, uh, but, uh, you know, when I researched and found, you know, it, it was, first of all, it was awesome seeing you carrying the Olympic torch. Uh, yeah. Great <laughs> that, honor. That sense of pride and honor. But I also saw you present, you know, an, uh, an hour-long incredible technology and IT vision roadmap. And uh, there's no, it's not a surprise to me that you're an award-winning uh, technology visionary and CIO because you linked all of your investment thesis to business outcomes and business outcomes specifically towards making sure that you have the optimal experience. And, and, and that starts with building a world-class infrastructure. So what you've done in terms of modernization, in terms of improving efficiency and operational excellence is, is, is how you earn the right to innovate. And, uh, but I, I wanted to uh, ask you to give advice to other CIOs who are managing large organizations such as Caesars Entertainment. What, what do you need to do as a CIO, first and foremost, to build this culture of innovation that you've been able to do in such short time? So, you know, it's culture, it's talent, it's process, but it feels like technology is the last thing. You need to have all those other foundational elements in order to move as fast as you are. So give other CIOs advice because you're doing magical work and they need to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it is a very short time frame. We've done all of this. But, you know, there's, a, there's an old saying, uh, you know, uh, it, it, I, it was only in the last, like, uh, 15 minutes that somebody discovered I actually did something well. In other words, you know, I, I was always doing this. And uh, I've taken cultural lessons from doing my own startups, from being involved in Silicon Valley from being part of the new venture environment or, or, or culture and actually adopting that and adapting that to what we do in enterprise IT. And so in my previous job at Las Vegas Sands as their global CIO, there were a lot of thoughts and initiatives which we pulled together here at Caesars and actually adopted that approach, which is to look at technology last, align with the business first, figure out what the business problems are that you're gonna solve. What are those really hard problems you're trying to fix and focus on that? And that's where you'll be able to create value. And typically that looks like putting in a technology platform, of course, but really what does it mean to the value to the customer, ultimately someone who is going to provide something of value exchange, pay Caesars in this case, for the experience they're having at one of the integrated resorts. 
And, you know, the outcome of that has been a shift in the way we think at the company. So in June of this year, we launched what is called Consumer Experience 3. Consumer Experience 3 is the new casino. It's over at our Link uh, Casino and Resort, and it's right next to the Link Promenade, right on the main strip in Las Vegas Boulevard here in our headquarters. And the Link is has VR. It has interactive games. It actually has groups and clusters of people playing the traditional electronic slots, but all together as a group, as a team, yep. as opposed to sitting individually at a slot machine, which is can be a, a very lonely experience in some cases. It's, a, it's certainly solid and singular. But all of these changes, including interaction with uh, karaoke and karaoke singers in other casinos and other parts of the world at the same time that you're performing here in Las Vegas, make the experience completely different. We have a bar, a bar that is the, the, the surface of the bar is actually a video game surface. And we have multiple video games that are playing, including this one, which is shark attack and a turtle protection and all this other stuff. And you can take, by the way, selfies with the characters that are in the screens inside the bar and watch the players score a level up on the screens behind the bartender. So completely different experience. I invite anybody who's coming to Las Vegas to see it. It is outperforming the strip by orders of magnitude and it is far in excess of what we had expected when we originally projected revenue for it. So it is an incredible opportunity to see what customers are looking for in the application of technology, solving the problem of what are the consumers looking for in terms of entertainment today. It's the new way. So IT is not about siloed systems. It's not about managing assets and keeping the lights on. It is about finding and solving business problems with the business owners inside the enterprise. You know, we're going to be wanting to hear about that at the Connected Enterprise event when you come out uh, because there's going to be a lot of lessons learned. People want to know how to handle these type of big transformation projects. And given that you've been at two of the major casino companies, uh, two out of the three major casino companies, I mean, trying different things. They, they all operate differently, as you know. Everybody has their, you know, different uh, approaches. You know, the way Sheldon works was very different than the way you guys work right now versus, you know, what's happening over at uh, the other three-letter uh, casino. So a uh, question for you, I think that's kind of important here, is really this industry transformation. I mean, you guys opened up your first property in Scottsdale with no casinos, with no gambling, right? And, right. and that requires a different level of infrastructure than what's required for, for the gaming side. Absolutely. And, and I think you'll see that in what we're doing in a number of other places. So we've opened up a five-star or I guess technically a six-star resort. in Six-star, yes. Um, so you know, I didn't know there were six stars, but apparently there are. So that's great. It's very nice. It's even better. Uh, it's the 11 version of you know resorts. So when you think of hospitality and technology, it is a different infrastructure because it's not so much focused on a casino management system. It is focused on keeping the customer connected at all times. And that means the customer feels like from the moment that they make the reservation to the foot step in the door the very first time, they can use a mobile device or some other digital interface with you to actually define their experience. They can check in through their mobile device. They don't have to go to the front desk if they don't want to, and they can order whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, through some kind of personal mobile device. And that's really what our experiences in these hospitality locations is defined by. We have a, a, uh, a casino actually in Southern California called Funner. It's in Funner, USA. And that casino is one of those 
that because it's in California and there's a certain expectation by our customer is actually moving to that model, even though it is more the hospitality model is now moving into the gaming segment. So we see this across the board for the hospitality, um, casino, excuse me, hospitality locations that we're opening, as well as the casino integrated resort locations. Absolutely. Wow, that Blue Water play, Blue Water Palace is amazing. I mean, that that's definitely one of Blue Water's Island. That's a uh, pretty wild. So, this is uh, my last question. Last, you know, so, you know, it's it's amazing to think that you know this is only twelve years old, and uh, you know when we talk about the mobile revolution starting in two thousand seven, uh, it's especially with the, the combination of the app store and so it's mobile, it's cloud computing and applications, social networks. We've, you mentioned, uh, you know, extended reality with augmented and virtual reality. What advice or how has the role of the CIO changed in the last 10 years? And based on that change, what advice would you give to up and coming CIOs who want to have the same success and the same achievements that you, you have uh, recognized in your career? Yeah, I agree. The, the mobile device changed a lot of things, uh, but we already saw this going on. We knew that there was, um, uh, if, paying, if you're paying attention to the general economy, as well as the growth of technology and its importance in our economy to the concept of network effects. And network effects, I would uh, say for any aspiring or budding CIO is the place to study your economics. If you can understand network effects and what those can provide to a company and how they can amplify the value of what a company can do and where its competitive opportunities are, and that's where you will actually invest most of your effort in thinking and innovation. And you'll be moving, if you're an aspiring CIO or a younger CIO or one that just wants to do major digital transformation, you want to move out of the business of managing what are the, sort of the commodity services of IT. You're not in the data center business. There's a, a funny saying, friends don't let friends build data centers. So you, you don't do that, right? Um, because you can buy that stuff really inexpensively, and it's done much better at a higher level with a lot of security. But I so, love my air conditioning. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. love the air conditioning, right? It's the best, particularly here in Las Vegas. But frankly, you know, we have great partners. We've got Switch out here, which is a super nap, and you can't beat that. That's just the best in, t in terms of the level of technology. And, yeah. and Google has recognized this. They're moving data centers here. And obviously, Microsoft is already there as well. But it is one of those steps when you think of as a CIO, where do you focus? Because your time is your most precious asset. You focus on innovation around value that can be created on network effects. A great example now would be not to think of when people think of blockchain, think of cryptocurrency, but think of blockchain as a distributed loyalty system or enabler, a, a network effect if you will, platform for loyalty so that in a frictionless way, uh, Caesars could be in, uh, the, uh, could acquire another company and quickly integrate its loyalty system. Or for that matter, a Caesars could work with a Starbucks or somebody else and quickly integrate the loyalty system, but on a distributed basis and in a way that then respects the privacy and really the digital sovereignty of each of its customers. And if you can get at those values and think in those terms, then you can add a lot to your company's progression strategically, uh, operationally, tactically, and really to make money. Terrific use case uh, for distributed ledger. Absolutely. Uh, brilliant.
Brilliant. I, I, I want to actually delve a little bit deep into less your career, right? It's a very fascinating career from teaching to startups to being a CTO at, you know, some of the more interesting travel companies of the time. Um, I mean, you, you got here because you have very, very different ex experiences, right? And, and how does someone in their career, like as a CIO, you know, want to be at some point, I mean, do they get deeper into business? Should they be in the startup world? I mean, where can they get this broad range of experiences? Yeah, no, I think people ask me that a lot, and it's a great question because I do have a diverse background. I've done several startups. I've been involved in the venture world. I've actually you know, been in Fortune 500 in and out a couple of times just yep. in very strategic roles. And I would say that an aspiring CIO, or even that matter, a technologist of any kind, should get themselves involved in business. They should try to start their own business or be involved in a startup at least once. Once you learn what it takes to do something across all the different boundaries of the business, and that is the old saying of chief cook and bottle washer, but really you have to learn legal, you have to learn HR, you have to learn operations, marketing, sales. You have to understand how to administer the company. Ultimately, if you have that experience, you will understand better what you need to do as a technologist because you can relate to all of your colleagues in every one of their lines of business. And by relating to them and understanding their business, you gain their trust. With the trust, then, and, and to your previous uh, you know, a speaker here on, on the interviews, um, she, when she was talking about how the relationships matter, that's where you will get the greatest value creation, is the ability to actually grow the business through the trust that you have in your relationships and the vision you might have as a technologist for where the company can go. Sage advice. Really. This is amazing advice. Yeah. So, well, Les, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, we're gonna, we're excited to see you. Hopefully, you're going to make the uh, BT150 induction ceremony and the Innovation Summit in Half Moon Bay. Uh, we've got Tom Peters, John Hagel, Annie McKee, Alan Ballou, and uh, our surprise guest, if you're listening, is I believe uh, uh, Mr. Vince Cerf will also be there. So, oh, fantastic. Um, I absolutely will be there. I look forward to it. I'm honored, feel privileged, and thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you. We're here with Les Otolenghi, EVP and CIO at Caesars Entertainment. You can follow him on Twitter at L-E-S-O-T-T-O-L-E-N-G-H-I. He's a Business Transformation 150 22 men, 2020 member. So congratulations and thanks for being on the show. Thank, thank you. you. Terrific. Terrific. Wow. Excellent advice. Sage CIOs, transformation expert. He's been a startup CEO. He's been on a lot of different companies, Fortune 500 size, uh, entertainment, travel. Uh, definitely someone we're going to be watching uh, at the event and learning from. So, well, we're going to end our show with the ultimate connector. I don't know a better, uh, more authentic connector than uh, our next guest, who's a first ballot Hall of Fame inductee of uh, Disrupt TV because of his numerous appearances. We love having him on the show. Brian Fanzo is a speaker and change evangelist. He's a keynote speaker who inspires, motivates, and educates businesses on how to leverage emerging technologies and digital marketing to stand out from the noise and engage with customers of all ages. He brings a very broad perspective. He's got a diverse background working for the Department of Defense and Cybersecurity. I mean, that's deep-rooted, you know, technologist, and now an evangelist and a booming cloud computing startup. He's the founder of iSocial Brands, which has helped launch digital and influencer strategies with some of the biggest iconic brands in the world, Dell, EMC, Adobe, IBM, UFC. He actually looks like one of the fighters, SAP and other companies. He's delivered keynotes in 11 countries, highlighting his passion for change, collaboration, and community. He's a must follow. 
So just do yourself a favor and follow him on Twitter at iSocialPlans, I-S-O-C-I-A-L-F-A-N-Z. Welcome back, Brian, to Disrupt TV. Thanks for having me, guys. This is great. And I tell you what, with those first two guests, it's like, it's like both of my loves in the world. I love the, the, you know, the, the psychology, empathy side of the house. I played semi-professional poker for a good while and the technology side uh, and, I, and a person with a diverse background. I mean, like, I, was like, I was like, every one of those things, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. So I'm excited to be back on the show for sure. Awesome. That's, that's awesome. I mean, hey, look, from DOD cybersecurity to this, life can't get any better. <laughs> so, <laughs> and who's got the best microphone in the industry? I mean, I just want to just put it. Well, I, I'm a technology geek, so I, I feel like I, I'm very blessed to be, a, you know, to leverage. But I'm not usually. I think probably the last three times I've been on the show, I was on the road. So this is, you know, one of the first times I've actually been in my house. I got home late last night, so yeah, I got the I got to roll out the actual podcasting microphone. I mean, if you could see this, I mean, you're listening to this live coast to coast on radio, but if you could see this, this mic is huge. What kind of mic are you using, actually? Let's start then, and we'll talk about the future of digital here. Uh, sure. It's the uh, high LPR 42 so uh, it's the, like the standard, I think, the elite version of what's going on out there. It's... You know, it's one that you have to connect into a board. So I have a traveling one that plugs in USB. Wow. Uh, but the the high L is uh, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. And I talk fast and I talk loud and it doesn't it doesn't pop. And that's really the, the most important thing for me. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, so what trends are going on? What's happening? Right. I mean, last time we caught up, I mean, the the, the industry was actually really shifting. People were all kind of excited about Facebook. Today we're like. Eh about privacy and security about Facebook. Every week we've got a scandal uh, and, and there's a hack everywhere. I mean, what's going on? So yeah, yeah, we're definitely living in interesting times. And I think it kind of matches the two earlier guests as well. I think one of the things we're seeing uh, is kind of this evolution of what I like to say is we're kind of, we're coming full circle in the idea where um, as consumers, we're getting smarter. I thought, you know, it's very interesting as like the face app, uh, you know, uh, came, became uh, buzz heavy. And then the, some of the Facebook news, you know, for the first time, I think we have consumers that realize that if they're using a tool or an app for free, they're paying with it with their data. And now the question becomes, do we care enough to actually um, want to force change in that arena? Or do we care enough to even, um, if we don't like how they're using our data, to stop using the platform? Uh, I'm not sure we've, we've reached that point yet. But I do think we're, we're kind of living in an interesting time on the network side of the house, or on the social media side of the house, but also at the same point of content. I think we have been inundated with so much content on so many different channels now that so many brands, so many businesses are putting out content for content's sake. And as we move forward, it's gonna be, I think we're going to shift back to less content, more strategic content. And we're even seeing that already in video. You know, I've been, uh, you know, an evangelist for video for many years now. And now I, I was at, you know, uh, I, I gave keynotes to the last two in the last three days at two different B2B events. And the good news was, People aren't asking, should I be on video? They're not even asking, do I need to invest in video? They believe in video. They understand that video is here. The funny and interesting element they're at is um, they're now wanting it to do video everywhere and replace everything with video. Which So now I almost feel like we have to go back and say, this is what you shouldn't use video for and kind of move in that direction. So it's, we're definitely living in interesting times. Um, I do think it's, you know, every business is in the business of trust. And it's now our job to figure out which platforms, which type of medium, what type of content builds trust, maintains trust, and then which I think is the hardest aspect, scales trust. Uh, and in a world full of privacy and disruption, it's, it's an interesting challenge. 
Tell us about becoming a change evangelist. Uh, again, going from uh, Department of Defense Cybersecurity, and I remember having early conversations with you as you were thinking about making what I consider an incredibly hard pivot, incredibly hard pivot, because, you know, I don't know if at the time you thought that you were going to become, you know, one of the most influential streamers and video experts, or you're going to be a public speaker and a keynote speaker. I'm sure when you and I first engaged, you probably didn't think you're going to have keynotes across 11 countries, or maybe you did. I don't know. How, how did you decide that this is an important path I'm going to pursue, even if it means leaving what I'm comfortable doing, which is a security expert, networking expert? Um, and, and, and what advice do you have for others who uh, you know, could potentially follow your path and, and really earn a voice that is respected broadly? Uh, well, uh, thank you for that. I, I was actually reminiscing yesterday, I think on Twitter, uh, when you first reached out to me, Vala, and uh, you DM me and said, hey, you want to jump on a phone call? And I think we had 30 minutes and like at the hour and 20 minute mark, we hadn't even like got, we were, you know, we were having such a, a amazing conversation. And that was so early on for me. I think that was 2013, 2014. Um, you know, and for me, you know, my background, you know, I worked in cybersecurity for the Department of Defense uh, for nine years. I traveled uh, at the time to 54 countries. I've now been to 76 countries total um, in my, you know, in my career. And uh, I, I was, I had 32 people that worked on my team. We ran a very nice budget. And I got to a place where our, our, uh, not only was our team kind of changing, but our initiatives were changing. And I came to a, I kind of this realization that um, I'm either going to stay in cybersecurity and the U.S. government for the rest of my career, making really good money. And, and, and I, this was 2009, right? So it's as the hockey stick is kind of taking off. Or, you know, I, I needed to jump ship. And I had the highest civilian clearance you could get. And everybody was telling me, cybersecurity, you have the clearance, stay where you're at. Um, and I can say this now looking back, but I don't think I realized it at the time. For me, I know that like I want to reach the masses. Like I truly believe I want to change the world. I want to make an impact on society. And so much of what I was doing, and it's not a shot at the government, but it's kind of the way is you know we were professionals at spinning our wheels, deploying tools and technology that were sometimes two or three years behind. And a lot of that to me was yes, I love supporting our military. Yes, I loved what I was doing, but I needed to make a change, and I made that drastic change. Uh, you know, I built my career after Guy Kawasaki and Robert Scoble. Uh, when I saw that they had an evangelist role, I was like, I want that. Like, that's what I want to become. And I was very lucky. I got to go to IO data centers there in Phoenix um, and work there. And that was an experience and a half. You know, I, we, we, had, we were hiring 12 new hires a week for two years straight. And they were kind of all under our sphere. And then when they got bought by uh, CenturyLink, that's right when we were having our conversation. And, and for me, I definitely didn't know the public speaking was a realm. Like for me, public speaking was, has been part of my job since 2005. I actually, I had, a, I had my SVP come and say, you're the only non gray haired dude in our entire cyber, uh, cyber security department. We need to go train you to become the face so you can recruit and you can make cybersecurity look cool, right? And like at the time, like no one was getting out of college in that space. Um, but like, as we look at like, as I looked at that whole thing, you, I learned a lot about myself. If I, as I was getting there, I need, I like the challenge. I like to, yeah. you know, I love to, to take on different things. I don't really have a niche. I like to say I'm the president of team, no niche. Like I, I like to talk about a lot of different things. I like to cover a lot of things, but you know, as I was going through that pivot, I didn't know for sure what, you know, I was scared of entrepreneurship and I like to use this caveat. Entrepreneurship is the hardest thing I've ever done. I worked for an enterprise BAE systems. I worked for a startup. 
the entrepreneur role is the hardest thing I've ever done. It's also the least financially beneficial at the moment um, job I've ever done. Um, but it's, you know, we hear a lot of the glamour side of that, but it's, it's been an interesting path for me for the last five years. And it wasn't really until last year, maybe even nine months, that I've been more comfortable now bringing all of these worlds together, the cyber background, the evangelist role, as well as my role in social media and digital marketing. And you know, I, I like to say I've, I've always pivoted to know where I feel I'm the most comfortable and where I can make the most impact. And I was never, I, I, had, I didn't really know what I wanted to grow up. I had no idea that being a professional speaker was really even a job uh, until about four years ago. But you know, three years ago, my, my revenue was, you know, 20% was from speaking. Two years ago, it was about 50. Um, three, you know, uh, last year, it was closer to 60. And this year, it'll be 90% of my revenue. And so, you know, for me, I've kind of doubled down in, in that side of the house. And for me, it's making an impact. I like to say I like to, I don't, I don't have to know everything. I like to translate the geek speak around <laughs> complex things and get people to have a new perspective. And in our world right now with so much disruption, so much change, I mean, everything that you guys talk about, I mean, I've, I've looked up to both of you for a, a long while, been lucky to uh, play in, the, in a lot of the same arenas. You know, I think so much today comes back to this idea of being a Swiss Army knife of multiple things and being able to, um, you know, pivot, but also adapt, but also not get too far away from like the human condition, which is what uh, Dr. Melanie was talking at the beginning. And I love where I'm at now. I, I mean, it's my dream job every day. I'm happy. I, I host three podcasts this year. I will, I will be closer to 66 keynotes. Uh, yeah, three podcasts at the moment. So um, there's nothing else I would rather do in the world. I think my goal is 100 keynotes next year, uh, 2020. So uh, I'm setting the bar high, but you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's been a heck of a ride. I think the thing I would give, if you, you said advice I would give is you don't have to know where you're going. You just have to be confident in yourself. Yeah. And in the fear and the failure side, I was never afraid to fail because I knew I would never settle for failure. Like my parents raised me like, hey, it's going to happen. And so I, failure sucks. And I've failed multiple times. I went through a divorce three years ago while I was doing the entrepreneur thing. It was you know, a roller coaster. But even though it, failure sucks, and you have to own that. Knowing that I wasn't settling for it, all of this change, all of this pivot kind of allowed me to get to where I'm at now. And it's so much fun now. Like I'm speaking at the healthcare internet conference. I'm speaking at a cybersecurity conference. I'm the keynote at the e-tourism summit focused on travel. And so I get to like kind of hone in now and leverage my, my no niche background to kind of do a whole branch of things. <laughs> That's Ray, awesome, man. Going after Ray Wong's uh, keynote record, hundred. That's that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know. Ray Ray has me beat on that for sure. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it it goes in cycles. I got to write the next book, man. Uh, so. I, my book's almost done. I'll be done with my first one by the end of this month. So that's oh, the, the goal. manuscript will be done. Let us know if you need endorsements or anything, and if we can help you out on the speaking front too. Let us I will. Know. I will let you know. But uh, but yeah, you know, but this shift that's going on, man. The other thing is is podcasting. You're talking hot about podcasting. People are listening to this live coast to coast down radio. But let's talk about podcasting. Why is this thing so hot? Why do people want to, you know? listen in on a podcast like what gets people excited about this so you know i think you know i brought up the concept of trust and if you look at it today you know the thing that we're dealing with more than anything online at the moment is bad news and fake news 
right? So we have bad news and fake news. And then we have businesses trying to create content. We have thought leaders trying to create content. You know, I like to say, I love the, you know, I think we're living in the greatest time in history because it doesn't matter your background, where you live, you know, your sexual orientation, your beliefs, you have the ability to tell your story. The question now becomes, how do you build trust in a digital world that is very, you know, we are, we don't trust what's online anymore. We can't even trust that it comes from a source anymore. And the questions are becoming, how do you reach the audience, but also build that trust? And I believe podcasting is the most intimate medium there is. And I'll give the, the exact reason when, you know, I love video. I've, I've created over 4,000 videos since 2014, uh, wow, just myself individually. Um, and I love video. I believe video is amazing for nonverbal cues. You know, we're, we're, we're looking at each other now and it allows us to cut in and cut out a lot of what Melanie was saying about, you know, being able to, to give a whole picture. But the thing about video is us as the creator, us as the thought leader, we dictate what someone visualizes as they're listening to us. Mm. In a podcast, much like when someone reads a book and then they go watch it on, on watch the movie, why does every person that reads a book hate the movie version of the book? <laughs> it's because they, the, the reader, was able to paint their own picture. When right. someone says something, you're able to visualize it your own way. And in podcasting, that's the same case. And so when I tell people that I worked in cybersecurity and I traveled to 54 countries, their visualization of 54 countries traveling is their own and it's in your ear and it's a very consistent medium. And so I think that's, that's a big piece of it. And I think the other one is we've always said this in school, but weirdly in content, we never kind of sat in that space around it was we always said that people learn differently. People consume differently, but yet we just blasted out blogs and said, everybody read, 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 read. Or we would say like, here's a white paper. Oh, you don't like a white paper. Here's, you know, a, a press release. And I think now it's about how do I create content and bring it to the audience where they want it, how they want it. And let's face it, today's consumers, they have all the control. I mean, we, we have the Netflix generation of give it to me where we want it. I want to consume it. I mean, I was watching documentaries on the runway last night as we were delayed and I didn't even realize I landed two and a half hours late because I was so <laughs> enthralled in this, this documentary. And so when I look at like mediums, like media, uh, like uh, podcasting, you know, for, for those that are out there, for me, I want to build trust and rapport, but I also want to allow people to get to know me at, like, at a very transparent, very authentic level. And podcasting is just, is, it's that intimate connection. And yeah, I've, I've tripled down on it, uh, having three shows at the moment. That's awesome. Brian, tell us uh, uh, about your new book. So, so, you know, the book, interestingly enough, I think one of my mantras is even the hat I'm wearing has been press the damn button, right? Press the damn button. <laughs> and it, it kind of started out as like a video call to action. I actually remember uh, talking to you guys the, before, yep. before Disrupt TV started. It was uh, like the week before episode one and we were all on a call kind of uh, talking about all the things that you guys are doing and your guys' consistency is uh, amazing, by the way. Like hands down, I bow down to that consistency. Um, so press the damn button has been like just my mantra and it, it went from a video thing to more of, I believe we all have a story to tell and we must put ourselves out there. And as I was looking at my career and things that I like to help people with, I really do believe in a concept that I'm calling digital empathy. And in the idea that I don't believe technology and social media has made the world a worse place. It's actually amplified that we've had bad people doing bad things for a long time. And we have to look at that and say, how do we fix us as a human culture? A lot of what Dr. Melling was saying, how do we, how do we identify this? But it's not about unplugging. It's not about removing technology because when you remove technology, like everyone goes on vacation, the first thing you do when you go back is you wish you never went on vacation because all the emails are up and you're missing all the things that are going on. And so I think there's this harmony of how do we, how do we make 
you know, how do we understand a more empathetic world where we have artificial intelligence, augmented reality, these things that are going to allow us to connect like nothing else before, but let's face it, today's marketers, we can't figure out how to use big data. We nope. can't figure out how to use automation and email. Nope. But how, how do we expect them to use AI in an emotionally intelligent way without alienating the customers? It's a, it's a, it's a scary proposition. And I think, and so the book for me is, you know, it's press the damn button with the, with the spin around digital empathy. And the whole idea is that I believe to be, to make the world a more empathetic place, we have to actually start with ourselves and we can't expect it to be empathetic place if we don't allow people to be empathetic towards us. So being self-aware, putting ourselves out there, telling our own individual story. Um, so it's been a lot of fun to write it. The, the, the irony is chapter one is how I've done 4,000 videos. I've done well over 800 podcast episodes and I can't press the damn button on a book. And I've written now, this will be my third quote unquote book worth of writing of 80,000 plus words. Um, but this one's actually going to go, it's going to happen. I'm going to actually press the damn button. Uh, and it's a topic. It's, I think it's, I believe it's gonna be my life's work. I, it's that, that synergy where it's cross-generational communication. It's the high, the, the, you know, harmony of technology and innovation but also having emotional connections with people no matter where they live. And, uh, you know, it's not, th I, I absolutely love writing about it and talking about it. Live here with Brian Fanzo, speaker and change evangelist. You can follow him on Twitter at iSocialFans. Uh, he's definitely one of the top podcast people to follow, keynoter and press the button. Make sure you check out that new book when it does come out. So, hey, thanks for being on the show. Hope to see you at Constellation Connected Enterprise. We'll talk more. So. Thank you, my friend. Cheers, guys. Thanks so much. He's awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. Good. 60 minutes have gone by so fast. I don't know what <laughs> happened here, Vala. It has, it has. Listen, I want to remind our audience, uh, check us out. We got 159 episodes on Vimeo, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, also on AM radio stations across the country. Next week is episode 160. And we have Anushka Anand, senior product manager at Tableau, who's going to join us. We have Sholu Mun, renowned Harvard data scientist and author. And lastly, John Reed, one of our favorite media personalities, co-founder of Diginomica. Ray will not be with us. We have guest host Dion Hinchcliffe, vice president at Constellation Research, joining me for episode 160. Ray, your final thoughts. Hey, I'm going down under in a few weeks, and uh, that should be interesting. We'll talk about what's happening in the Sydney, Melbourne scene, and uh, we'll follow up with that later. But hey, everybody, thanks for following us. And if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.